Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Kennedy, and thanks so much for tuning in. With me today is the one and only, the incomparable Andy. Hello, friends. Awesome. But before we get into our main topic, which is season three of Lower Decks, I know you're all excited. We have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get awesome rewards from thanks to social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash women at warp for more info. You looking for podcast merch? We've got some great stuff. You should check out our Tee Public store. There's so many designs with new ones being added all the time. We have some great ones in the lab. I can't wait to share them with you. And it's on so much more than just t-shirts. We got totes. We got mugs. We got stickers. Honey, whatever you need. <laughs> Find it at tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. And last but certainly not least, happy birthday to our patron Eve, whose birthday is on November 27th. Woohoo! Right? Happy revolution around the sun. May you have many, many, many more. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life, my friend. Happy birthday. Oh my gosh, Andy, I know you're excited. I am excited. I know you're excited because this season of Lower Decks, I mean, no no punches held. No punches held. They figured out what it is and they kept it going. And I, <laughs> I can't be more pleased. Like, you know, sometimes season three, certain new shows can get a little big for their britches and they start relying on their own mythos a little too heavily and, and all that stuff. And And this writing team is just i mean they got it singing i mean oh my gosh <laughs> lower deck season three kicks off with the season premiere of the episode grounded where on the backlash of captain freeman and her erroneous charges <laughs> i can't even believe starfleet command entertained that bs but whatever, I could get into my socio-political bag as to why they was so quick to throw sis in the irons. I will say that one of the most unfortunate visuals I think we've ever had on this show is Freeman being taken away in chains in front of her entire crew. Not my not my highest point of the show. No, it was it was one of the things that made me a little apprehensive coming into season three. Me too, me too, because I really was like that cliffhanger, um, I mean, I, I get where they're going, but they're, it's just it's just a little uncomfy. Just a wee bit uncomfy, Kennedy. How quick Starfleet is to throw a black woman in the brig? Yeah, pretty much. Want we'll to talk about that? How? I mean, granted, Mariner does kind of earn her time in the brig, but like, don't get me started. And, and one of the things about Lower Decks that I love so much is how it challenges optics like that you know what i mean mm -hmm. i think in 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 season one was crisis point with vindicta right wasn't the second season it's all running together at this point whatever the vindicta episode mm -hmm. where we find mariner working out her mommy daughter trauma in like a really violent way really triggered me i was like why are we watching this level of you know it's a clear psychotic break on 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 beckett's half to even conceive something like this with her mother like I understand that there's tension and not all mother-daughter relationships are immaculate, but dad, girl, like we can see you, like we can see you, you know? <laughs> and, and part of the challenge of 
making sure that marginalized communities remain represented in all of their complexities is showing things like that, showing Mariner working out her mother-daughter trauma in a violent way. It's showing a captain like Freeman getting erroneously thrown in irons, right? It's it's the type of thing that, like, if you want equal representation, like, this is part of it. But you cannot expect to have equal representation or at least equitable representation if all facets of one's experience are not being shown. Yeah. The fact that we see in this episode that those charges were dropped pretty quickly does help remind the audience, I believe, that it's a comedy. You know what I mean? It's a comedy about a high stakes space drama. We're going to have fun with that within that universe as, as much as we possibly can. And I am so traumatized from seeing Black people, marginalized people being disproportionately punished for whatever actions they chose to take that I was unable to rem- remember that this is a comedy show, that I'm going to laugh, that there's a team of people who are going to make this a yuck-yuck moment. Yeah. So it was just like, ooh, how much more Star Trek can you get? You know, here is a poignant uh, moment. Here is a problematic optic. And we're going to laugh about it. And we're going to learn about it. And it's in space. I-, I don't know what else. I don't know. I mean, like, if that's not Trek for you, I don't know what is. Yeah, so uh, I think you're not wrong. And uh, on our blog, there is a really interesting blog post that um, Jamila wrote for us that basically kind of took a look at all of the different ways that Star Trek has criminalized black women specifically. So if you have interest in this topic, I would definitely recommend checking that out because I think she does a really good job of kind of like doing an overview of how that kind of happens more than we would like. But... I will say I was very pleased that in this episode, like this plot line did not progress for a long time. It, it, it was very, it was very much taken care of quickly. Um, and it did some nice things to kind of deepen both Mariner's relationship with her mom, but also her dad and their relationship with each other and just their family. So, like, overall, I really enjoyed this season opener, and I think they handled the cliffhanger well, and I really enjoyed all of the first contact references. I just, oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man. The fact that, first of all, can we give a shout out to Lily Sloan (laughs) and Zephram Cochran for building a vessel that managed to stay operational this long? (laughs) That is a tin can with some warp nacelles welded onto it. That bitch can still fly. Come on, Lily Sloan. Come on, Lily Sloan. Yeah. Come on. Pretty cool. And just overall, that kind of reference and like callback is one of the reasons why I love Lower Decks is because this is a show for the fans. Like... It's fan service in the most delightful way. Like, taking some of our absolute favorite Star Trek moments and, like, tweaking them or, like, deepening them or even just, like, playfully mocking them is just, it's it makes me so happy it, and, and just gives me all of the feels. It was so cool hearing James Cromwell reprise Zephram Cochran. I really, like you said, the, the attention to detail is unprecedented also um screw the pack leads i need y'all to get your life together (laughs) and what i really need is for someone to gather them in a way that is that won't provoke them into doing bigger more harmful stupider things yeah 
because they were about to literally blow up their own planet. Just to fr- <laughs> what is wrong with y'all? Like, what is wrong with y'all? Who gave you warp capabilities? Stop this. Come here. Give me your keys. No, you're done. You're done. Time out. Let's go. <laughs> like, I just... So frustrating. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to the least dangerous game, which, I mean, for the fans, this is for the nerds. <laughs> this episode was for the nerds like if you love (laughs) sci-fi this if this is like an uh, an entry i feel like this episode so it should be lumped into the small category of episodes that you would recommend to a person who's learning about star trek for the first time right like Mm -hmm. this episode does pull from you know other things but i mean like it does it pulls from other long-standing tropes within star trek but it's still i just love this episode so much i just the the dnd game what was it called and i wrote it down bat lefts and bunks (laughs) and the fact that jg hertzler reprised marta like i want a bat lefts and bunks game like why can't can you hurry up and uh, what i need them to do is stop dropping products without marketing them first without developing them first please stop (laughs) Yes, definitely. Uh, it's just like the Ritos shirt. Yes. <laughs> where, where they bring these things on screen and then everyone immediately is like, I want. In my hand, take my money. Get, please, please take my money. And then it takes a little while and sometimes we never get the cool stuff we've seen on screen. So I don't think this, like, Star Trek merch team, <laughs> y'all need to get yourself together. Get it? together the fact that people had to wait for mission chicago to get a geordie bear is absurd (laughs) absurd the fact that those weren't mass produced and sold from every shelf in america is a crime against humanity frankly and you should all be ashamed of yourselves (laughs) then the the plate the paris plate like there's so many things that like the second it shows up on screen on lower decks i feel like you as a merch person should be able to watch a show go, people are going to want that. I should have that ready for, yeah. for consumption. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're leaving money on the table at this point. Yeah. How does CBS, a huge capitalistic monolithic machine, not have a marketing person in the writer's room? Because you know these nerds are funny, right? Mm-hmm. And you know these nerds are nerds. So if these funny nerds are going to come up with merch that nerds love, why would you not have a corporate John in there? Like, just what? I, if if I was in CBS marketing, I would put a person in those writer's room and just write down merch ideas. And then before we go to publication, I would run it by the appropriate people and be like, hey, is this something we're going to see again? Is this something worth building like what what's going on yeah cool blam jordy bears for everybody Rito's shirts for everybody binocs and bo- bat lefts and binocs for everybody like come on yeah definitely i hate capitalism but god damn it give me cool things <laughs> <laughs> definitely i think the other thing that's nice about this episode is just it kind of it kind of sticks to what i would say is the main theme of season three which is like figuring yourself out and trying to remain true to yourself while still growing as a person. Sure. And we see the uh, <laughs> the introduction of bold Boimler. Yes. Which is basically just Boimler's like suicidal side where he's like, <laughs> oh, bold Boimler would take this risk. And it's just like, mm, 
no, no one should take those risks. When somebody asks if they want, if they can hunt you, the answer is always no. <laughs> That's a yeah. no, friend. But at the end of the day, I think it, he is like trying to kind of take himself out of his comfort zone a little bit and, you know, sure. make, make some more decisive decisions, which he thinks is important to, you know, his career and, and becoming more of a bridge officer type. And that's not a bad thing. What we no. need here is balance. <laughs> sure. What I what I do love about the growth of Boimler as a character is his approach to things now. Because I have a feeling that season two Boimler might have also gone on a yes man crusade. But I don't think that that motivation would have come from the same place. This season, it came from a position of empowerment and a, a position of abundance, right? I can do these things because I am capable. Whereas season one, season two, Boimler would have been like, I need to do these things because I don't have it. It would have come from a place of scarcity as opposed to a place of abundance. So the fact that we were able to see growth of the character while he still remained true to his, you know, his laurels, as you say, is the subtleties, just good writing. Yeah. And I mean, Boimler has leveled up, you know, he he's had several episodes, especially in season two, where he was super successful at things that he tried. And that confidence has has shown itself in interesting ways. So this is probably my favorite episode of the season. I just it's so freaking funny. Like, I literally was, like, wheezing laughing during it, and as a D&D &D nerd, I absolutely loved that they were doing an RPG. Overall, just 10 out of 10 on this one. Yeah, for real. I also love how they lended validity to the concept that we as Star Trek fans kind of joke about, where, you know, the, the yellow shirts or the red shirts have to do the grunt work, while the senior officers or bridge officers, at the very least, get to do the fun diplomatic stuff. And the fact that they didn't shy away from that in this episode and portrayed it in a way that I think, you know, lended to all of the different ways that that can be experienced, which is super cool. Like, at first, I was like, oh, Ransom's got this. I had so much faith in Ransom. I was like, he's going to teach Mariner a lesson. They're going to fall in love, maybe. I don't know. I, I still kind of ship them. I, I do, too. And uh, I, <laughs> I I do like Mariner and Jennifer, and we will definitely sure. get into them sh later. But I don't think she has better chemistry with anybody but Ransom. Like, no. That, that whole frenemy thing is like, yes. But also, I mean, we run into some issues here because he is her commanding officer and her mentor. So, so there's, there's some iffy power dynamics there. But at the same time, she's so confident. Like, I don't know. I, I just really love them together. I think they bring interesting things out in each other. And, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, there's a part of me that very deeply ships them at the same time that I'm like, in general, don't, don't date your subordinate officers. Just don't yeah, do that. no, that's a bad I, idea. Where's Star Trek HR when you need them? Seriously, <laughs> um, I just remember from that first season when she was like, mm, "So ethical." I was like, "Oh yeah, they've banged. <laughs> they might not still be banging, but they've definitely banged." So I, I guess I kind of hold out hope for that. I don't know, whatever. Well, I'll just say that if Mariner gets promoted, maybe this won't be an issue. Mm, mm. Anything's possible. I also love the fact that you know it was definitely like a a working class recognition thing as well you know both ransom and mariner realizing that they do not know what the f they're doing when it comes to engineering stuff <laughs> you know i'm sure forced them to have a little bit more respect for what engineers well i mean 
Beckett was already there, but Ransom was being obstinate. Well, I think it it goes back to the theme of the season, which is everybody has different strengths and you need to play to your strengths. You need to, you need to embrace what you're good at and, you know, do that. So what Ransom was doing was trying to (laughs) do like the engineers didn't do any better at the diplomacy, you know? Nope. Like, you know, they, they have different skill sets and those skill sets need to be deployed. Where they're needed. We almost lost Billups and Rutherford. <laughs> <laughs> we almost lost the both of them. I would have been upset, honey. <laughs> I would have been upset. Not Ruffy. Not Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next will be Mining the Minds Minds, where we learn some interesting things about ourselves and each other, apparently. <laughs> Look, it is a classic sci-fi trope for a reason. It forces our characters to confront things that they would never admit to others or themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also it, it again goes to, I think a theme of this season, which is insecurity about the Cerritos and what they are doing and their reputation, which comes into play a lot this season, trying to prove yourself Mm -hmm. when others are underestimating you. Of course, in the end we find out that they weren't underestimating them. They were trying to impress them so that's that's nice. That's good to know. They're they're yeah. famous for all their shenanigans. I also really like how Lower Decks manages to flesh out the fleet. Yes. If you will, right? Because in previous series, we have the assumption that Starfleet is husky, right? With over 300 some member worlds and all the ships that all the fleets with there within like you get the idea, but we don't get like an actual it's it's hard to to conceptualize what a fleet consists of, right? How many ships is it? Because when you think about the fact that ships hold hundreds, if not thousands of people, and then there's going to be hundreds of ships, like what even is that, right? Those numbers are can be daunting. So to see something like the Carlsbad not only have a crew that feels jealousy or, or is intimidated by, by the uh, crew of the Cerritos, but also that they're so they're doing their own thing i don't know it's just it's so neat to me it's just, it's like the, the the world building i love world building and established properties properties regardless of what it is so the fact that we now have a show that fleshes out all of these you know these little threads and and shows all of the different intricacies in the in this tholian silk of a show we got here like that stuff is so cool like i yeah. immediately hated that other crew i said oh y'all think y'all better than us us like i'm on the cerritos y'all think y'all better than us that's real cute. Boimler, get it. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm real. So uh, I will say, like, I'm going to say this and people might think I'm wrong, but I think I'm Ooh, right. Say it. Say it. Say it. I think Lower Decks does the best world building of all Star Trek. Yeah. But I also think that that's built into the show. Yeah, they get to, they get to, because of their, like, breaking the fourth wall type stuff, they get mm-hmm. to draw from every show. And they get to, like, deepen things that we've already seen. So they get a chance to play around with the canon more than any other show. So part of that is just format. But they do such a good job with it that I just will say that I think they do the best world building. The other thing I want to point out about this episode is this is this is the beginning of us being able to see Tendi level up this season. Yes. Which is another example of a character being feeling like they're not good enough and feeling like they have to prove themselves and then doing so and proving themselves to themselves, who is the most important person 
And I, I just really love that, like, she's, she's trying something new. You know, she, she, she has moved from medical and, and is now in her senior science officer training. Her mentor has a unique style, but hey, results are results. So she definitely gets a chance to, to speak her mind in this episode and stand up for science, which she does more than once this season. So, Huzzah yeah. for Tendi. I gotta say, I always felt like Tendi would have been the one to break away from the pack first, right? So when Boimler did it and went to the Titan, I was like, mm, this is unfulfilling. Because I feel like Tendi was the one that I felt had the most potential to become a senior officer, or at the very least a bridge officer. The other three were either comfortable where they were, in the case of both Rutherford and Mariner, or still learning about themselves to get to that point in the case of Boimler. So it's like that high school superlative most likely to succeed. Like, I always thought it was tending. Yeah, and she's, <laughs> I would say that she's probably the most well-rounded. Yeah, for sure. What's going on next? There'll be room for growth. Oh, Spa Day! That was so <laughs> sweet. I really appreciate Carol for trying! I will say that this kind of highlights some of Captain Freeman's flaws as a captain Mm -hmm. in that and we see this again throughout the season is that she has a tendency to overmanage to the point where she loses control of not only her crew but herself Mm -hmm. and i like this episode and i like being able to see the the engineers are so funny to me they're just like no but we but fixing things is our relaxation like, I have to scan it. I have to fix it. That That is super funny to me. But rest is important, y'all. Rest is important. Yeah, completely. I, I just love the fact that they... Oh, they're so they're so cute. Like I don't get the fact the the feeling rather that on other ships that we've seen that the engineering crew is tight like they are on the Cerritos. You know, I feel like in the case of of Enterprise, which is a a big ship that has, you know, hundreds of people in the engineering crew on multiple different shifts. Like, I doubt that any of them even know, like, a lot of them know each other across shifts like that, you know, let alone get assigned to a relaxation day as a unit. Um, Even on a ship as small as Voyager, right? Like, I don't think all of them hung out. I think they all knew each other. Obviously, they're on one ship for seven years across the Delta Quadrant, but I don't think that Alpha shift was hanging out with that Delta shift. You know what I mean? So to see this engineering crew be so tight-knit is really, really rewarding and fulfilling because they've been through a lot in like moments of crisis, right? A ship like the Cerritos doesn't go through what that ship goes through without having an engineering team that is just constantly having each other's backs the way they do. Yeah. So it's just kind of cool to see that continuity. And I, I mean, I think the point of this episode is team building, right? Because yeah. the the other plot is Boimler, Mariner, and Tendi are trying to hack the lottery so they can get actual rooms instead of just, you know, a bed in the hallway. And they really work well together. Mm-hmm. They are a team, like a real team. And they all have different skills that they have managed to put together in a, into a coherent whole quite nicely. And it was kind of fun to watch them like do this almost race. And then we also have this, another theme of this season, I feel like is betrayal. Mm. 
And this is one of our first betrayals where it's like, oh, you thought you managed to like get through to your enemy, but it seemingly you did not. Yeah. Screw Delta Shift. Yeah. They're, they're not as good. They wouldn't have made it first. Our team is awesome. I hope that someone in that room that they're sharing has stinky feet. Yeah, they probably do. I hope they have stinky feet. And I hope one of those people on that shift are bullying and constantly, constantly erode their toilets with their poo. <laughs> oh, so creative, Kennedy. I mean, hey, <laughs> I love bullions. What can I say? They're they're just uh, tactically a gift on any starship vessel. I gotta say, <laughs> just from a personnel perspective, get you a crew with some bullions on it. All right, the next one is Reflections. Oh, man, if I was not in love with Samantha Rutherford before, honey, <laughs> this would have been it. I love Ruffy. I would murder somebody for Ruffy. And I'm real mad that your man's went through some stuff. Even, even, even like, young, bad, mean Ruffy, he could get it, too. Yeah. I'm not going to, like, make him a sandwich afterwards like I would our Samantha. But, yeah, I mean, he could get it. <laughs> well, and I and I, I love this because it's obviously a, a, a take on... A classic TOS trope of, you know, the enemy within or whatever. Yep. But it also takes it and twists it into our theme, which is, you know, like self and, and learning about yourself. So, like, it also adds to the kind of mystery that I have been wondering about for a while now, which is what is up with Rutherford's implant. Right, And so we kind of move both that story forward. We get to see Rutherford, like, level up. Another good moment for him. And then also him being able to kind of confront his past self and and still be comfortable in who he is now. Because this was a huge violation. Like, traumatic. Yeah. And the fact that he does such a good job of, like, integrating this is who I was, but this is who I am now is really great. I think, because I was... I was thinking about that as well. But what I, the conclusion I came to is that because his implant is Vulcan, it's probably helping him regulate those emotions. No, oh, yeah, maybe. That's the only thing I can think of, which also made me spiral into how brilliant of a, of a device that is for it to be a, a Vulcan cranial implant that is somehow still compatible with a human mind and it's like well what i have so many questions so many questions and i i didn't think that this is how we were going to learn about ruffy but if this is what it is listen i'm on board i also just really love that the way rutherford prevails against his quote-unquote evil self i think we know he is not evil he's just a little bit brash which is fine is not only building the delta flyer but precious bringing his crew with him mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh my heart the feels like precious. knowing that he is at his best when his friends are with him is just i love that the whole thing is very very well done from both like a really satisfying like fun episode side of things and then also just really giving us a lot to work with both with rutherford's character development and plot development around this mystery and then I have to say, on the other side of the coin, Mariner and Boimler at the recruitment booth is the oh, funniest scene. Perfect. I was literally crying laughing because, it, again, it goes back to that insecurity of the Cerritos, right? 
What it really goes to is Mariner's not sure if Starfleet is right for her and having Mm -hmm. another character, Petra, who she was hot. I know she's a cartoon, but she had a she had a hot vibe. Anyways, (laughs) only the finest bays. For Beckett Mariner, apparently. <laughs> yes. I really was like, ooh, I kind of shipped this too. I shipped Mariner with so many people. But anyways, like her being the one to be like, Starfleet is holding you back. Like maybe you should do something else. And there's a part of Mariner that's, you know, tempted by that. Yeah. Well, and then Boimler's breakdown is the funniest thing of the season, in my opinion. I love that he's like turning over tables and knocking shit over and just going completely feral. But at the same time, he was like, the doctor has agency. <laughs> yeah. How dare you say the doctor doesn't have agency? I love that it was Boimler that flipped out. Mm-hmm. I mean, but we always, I love that it was this season's Boimler that would have flipped out. He flipped out with confidence and experience. Whereas season one Boimler would have been like, guys, no, he just would have been whiny and cry about it. Would have been a tantrum instead of, you know, a, a point there. And it just really is like all of the rebuttals that they were hearing at that table is stuff that all Star Trek fans have heard <laughs> from uh, people in other fandoms, right? Like anyone who isn't a Trekker who was critical of it, not just people who don't know nothing about it, but are just genuinely and generally disdainful of it, have said all of those things. Like we have all had those conversations with people. And I was just like, mm, finally, somebody said it. Even the, the little details to the fact that it's like, are you sure it's not a military? And Petra was like, looks like it. Why are you all wearing the same things? Like, <laughs> you know, well, how come your uniforms look like this and their uniforms look like that? And it's like, well, I mean, you know, we're different. what do you mean? Like it was very... Very, um, I just felt seen. Meta? Yes, yes, completely. Yes. Completely. It was really funny, but it was also, like, <laughs> discourse. <laughs> it sure. was funny. It made it funnier that it was discourse. How dare you say the doctor doesn't have agency? He has rights. Is still, yeah. like, I laughed so hard. So overall, I really, really liked this episode. It was, like, discourse taken straight from Trek Twitter. <laughs> Yes, like, I've seen those conversations. I've seen it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So good. I also love in the very last moment of that episode when Beckett was giving her uh, log and Petra like calls her and she goes, what? No, thank you. <laughs> like the way she was so like just the way it was written. What? No, thank you. <laughs> I was like, yes. But she kept she kept the number. She did. But I, I just. Just un- unwanted calls that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, for her to respond the way I have responded when people call me that I don't want to speak to, it's just like, ah, feels so seen. Decline. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> the next episode, the crowd pleaser, the one that threatened to break Trek Twitter because everybody was losing their minds about it. I had to stay off Twitter for like two weeks. <laughs> Because y'all was losing y'all minds to this. Uh, Hear all, trust nothing. Our DS9 episode. Just so, so worth it. The writers were like, we heard you. Here you go, nerds. You good? Are you good now? What, you want Quark? Here's Quark. (laughs) Do you want some Kira? Here's some Kira too. What, you want to see Boimler killing it on a Dabo table? Here. (laughs) What else do you need? Fan service in the best way. Best possible way. So I 
I, I think the funniest moment of this is at the very beginning where they're like circling the station and Ransom's just like slower. <laughs> Do it yeah. again. We're looking at the pylons. But that Shax's reaction to it is fascist trash <laughs> Cardassian. Yeah, he was like tacky Cardassian fascist. Uh... <laughs> it was he so funny. Shaq's always I I love Shaq so much because his absolute bone deep hatred for fascism is very relatable. And yes. I, I love him just reminding everyone that this is a Cardassian station and uh yeah, he probably has bad memories of it. Just taking deuces on all of it. He was like, look at this Cardassian Phil. <laughs> he was like, this design is tacky. All of this is just oh, trash. <laughs> so, so, and his dynamic with Kira, how their arguments were over who saved who last. I was oh like, gosh. yes. I was so excited everything. to see them t- together. Yeah. And they did not disappoint. Just, it was everything that I wanted that relationship to be. I am not at all surprised that they fought in the resistance together. That mm-hmm. completely fits. And just like the idea of like trying to one up each other on number of times that they've saved each other is just such a cute and fun competition to have and just really loving yeah. and I love it. And it's very them. It just reminds me of that scene from Sorry to Bother You with Lakeith Stanfield where the, it's him and this other dude and they're clearly like there's clearly animosity between the two of them but they're being super complimentary each other. <laughs> you know, they're like, I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great day. Yeah, you out here looking great. What is that? This is Burberry, son. What you got on? This is Prada. Yeah, well, you smell nice too. Yeah, that's Burberry as well. Okay, I got on polo. Yeah, I bet you do have a polo. Do you want to go to lunch? No, I'll take, it's my treat. No, it's my treat. It's my treat. <laughs> like that's that kind of energy where you can't tell if they're really upset with each other, but it's perfect. Oh, just, I love spicy Bajoran content. Yes, I do love the Bajorans, for sure. I, I don't, I'll say I, I'm, I get a little bored with the religious Bajoran content, and I, it's such a huge part of their culture that a, a large part of Bajoran portrayals are a little, like, not off-putting, but I don't get as interested unless they're fighting. <laughs> when these little people get so scrappy, I'm just like, yes, here, <laughs> what you need? You need a grenade? Hold on, I'm gonna get you some. Like, I just want to encourage them to be... <laughs> I, I am the the Bajoran hooded Kermit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's me. Go. Be free. Do you. Um, but yeah, all the fan service of Here All, Trust Nothing was just such a relief to see the Lower Deckers, the Fab Four, our fave four geek out about being on deep space nine is real like it's real when i was playing sto and like uh, early on in my in my in my in my gameplay when i had missions on deep space nine i just i just did laps yeah. for like a half hour because i was just geeking out first of all all the attention to detail that the developers put into that game but the fact that i was like oh my god it's the klingon restaurant with the bowl with the Mama, give me some gah. Like I was just really like, what is this? Like, where's 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 Garrax at? Let me get me a new suit. I can't. This a <laughs> this call for some new threads. Where are we going? Is that a jungle stick? Like I lost my mind too. So to to see that that was also reflected for these accredited Starfleet officers makes me feel a little bit better about myself. But it's not <laughs> like you know 
fan service. It's not, it's not geeking out. It is, it is genuine appreciation. Yes. And the other thing that's cool about this storyline is we get to find out a lot more about Tandy's background. Mm-hmm. They meet another uh, Orion officer, Mesk, who I think is the only other Orion Starfleet officer we've ever seen. And he is very much like, the pirating is so cool. Yeah. I love our Orion pirating, but it turns out it's like wharf style Klingoning, mm-hmm. where he's from Ohio. He hasn't actually done any pirating, but like, I, I think it's super funny that they basically took that aspect of wharf where it's just like he's embracing his culture because he didn't get a chance to grow up with it. <laughs> but this poor guy is just mimicking, like, stereotypes that he's seen in movies, basically. And he's trying to relate to Tendi in this way, and he's overcompensating, but Tendi's response is very much like, um, no, I'm not that kind of Orion. But then... We find out that she is that yeah. type of Orion, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. As per the theme of this season, accepting this part of herself... And then she was just freaking badass. Like, wow. She took over an entire... When she threw the tooth and then the Orion, like, pirate tool or whatever it was, and, like, they hit, I was like... Yeah. That was fire. (laughs) Like, Tendi's amazing. What was Tendi's long name? Uh, Princess of the Celestial Winter Skies or something like that? (laughs) Mariner went in green face and they were on that Orion moon or whatever colony or whatever. And your man's was like instantly like genuflecting out some, 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 some eloquent, you know, opulent behind name. Like, come on. You don't get that kind of name just because you were born into a family. This ain't game of Thrones. Like yeah. that was an earned title. Definitely. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it because that's why it's, it makes so much more sense why Tendi is so accepting of Mariner's badassery because she's badass like that and probably thought that she was going to have to hide it. Yeah. And it's nice that now she won't have to, you know? Yeah. And I really enjoy I, I really enjoy this theme of the season because like being able to to look back on your past and not be ashamed of it and it and that like confidence helping you in the president is is just very it's a good it's a good lesson. Yeah. It's also a cool parallel to I'm sure a lot of people's experiences who come from marginalized backgrounds. Um if you grew up in a place where you didn't see too much of yourself in your community and then you get somewhere and you find somebody of your community, there is this urge to try and bond with that person if you are both, you know, othered in that space. And you know, I've had experiences like Tendi where, you know, it's been a pretty white space and another black person has walked up and has tried to bond and has been like projecting all of these i don't want to say stereotypes but like preconceived notions about what would be the appropriate way to banter in such a situation and it's just been like how do you navigate that like how do you how do you address it without invalidating this person's experience without sounding rude without sounding dismissive you know what i mean like it's a very nuanced experience that i'm glad that they showed once again trek doing trek yeah trek doing trek definitely and then uh we do have to mention that quark was there and he was wonderful and very quark like i don't think anyone was surprised by his storyline in this he was uh perfectly himself which is always lovely and boimler was bold 
And apparently yes. very good at double. Yo, he cleaned them the F out. <laughs> and I was like, get it, Boimler? I'm so glad that it was him who cleaned them out at Dabo and not Mariner. I kept expecting it to turn around and for him to lose everything, but he didn't. So, and I love at the end, he was like, we don't even use money. So, like, I don't, I don't give a shit about that any of was this. That Ferengi was pissed. That was so good. mad as hell. So good. Next, we have a mathematically perfect redemption. Um, AKA, screw you, Peanut Camper. <laughs> I hope you rust in hell. Like, I hate her so much. First, we thought we was done with her. Then we find that she's still ticking out there in space, lands on some avian planet, manages to steal the apparently crown prince away from his betrothed. And he was a cute owl dude. He was like a buff owl dude. She she bagged a baddie. Yes, she, she pulled did. a baddie. She was she pulled a baddie from another baddie. That's the crazy part. Pulled a baddie from another baddie, destroyed him emotionally when the time came for it. Didn't have, I just, first of all, I, there's, I, I have the rage. I can't even organize my <laughs> well, thoughts. This is a, um, one of the ones that I was thinking of when I was thinking of one of the themes of this season is betrayal because she yet again betrays everyone and even even the audience because like like oh isn't this such a trek thing she like learned from them and became a better person no no she didn't that's that didn't happen i hate her so much (laughs) and i i just i went into it hating her and stayed hating her because how not only do you like betray your entire first crew they welcomed you with open arms you pull a baddie from a baddie like i don't like you i don't like your fortune i don't like this at all but by the time we find out that the ariori people have their own ships and a lost space civilization that they've chosen to walk away from and i was like oh the plot thickens this is good maybe peanut hamper will be the one to revolutionize the ariori and they'll be able to reclaim you know their place in warp society and all of the no no, she's <laughs> trash. Trash. I will say that this was, I, I. it took me a while to get on board with this episode. Like the first, I don't know, at least half, I was like, mm, did Peanut Hamper need this much time? Like, did I need to know this much about right. Peanut Hamper? Um, and it's always a risk, you know, when you when you do an episode that's kind of like outside the regular format of your show, and it can either be really cool or it can be kind of a slog. And this one, I think, ended up being pretty cool but like it took me a while to get to, to get on board i hate her yeah i think that's the I theme of this episode is peanut hamper remains the worst i hate her and it also lends to my argument that ai is not exactly the flex that we all think it is <laughs> and that data was a gem and not the standard yeah data was an exception everything else trash yo Trash, all of it. Borg Queen, all of it. Agamus, I hope they all rust in hell. I really, I don't give a fuck (laughs) whose Alexa is hearing me say this right now either. She could eat a bag of, I don't know, whatever expletives as well. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it. And I, I, I recognize that all life is precious, but sentient, uh, synthetic life 
I don't know if that's even life. I feel like that's just really advanced programming that may or may not be able to rewrite its own subroutines in real time. Ergo, a threat to all life. <laughs> to organic life? Yes, yes, they are problems. Y'all can see me in the comments. I don't care. Twitter's about to to destroy itself. So I'm not going to see them comments. So <laughs> be mad. I don't care. Fight your mom. I can't stand peanut hamper. I, I, Yo, I just want to build a peanut hamper, like out of foam and all types of durable parts. So the next time we actually do have a convention... Just kind of let that, just like throw it into the crowd and see how many times people kick it or kick it myself. Just like, you know, get dressed up in a lower decks uh, uniform and have like a fake peanut hamper exocomp ball and just kick it around the floor. Be like, no, don't get involved. She's serving her sentence. (laughs) Don't get involved. Starfleet security, official business. Move aside. (laughs) Hate her. Oh, her poor boo. Yeah, he didn't deserve that. No. Hope she rusts in hell. Her anagamas. Yep. Trash. Anyway, crisis point two, paradoxes. Yeah. First of all, I really love, like, I wish I could do this. Like, as a gamer, this is like, oh, this is like the dream, man. Being able to do, like, this adventure on the holodeck that's also kind of therapeutic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I love that idea. I also think that this uh, is a good step forward for both Boimler and Tendi. Again, Tendi being able to, like, come into her own as captain. And I really like that she was getting frustrated with Rutherford. and But as soon as she explained to Rutherford what she was frustrated with, he was so supportive of her. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do, I will admit that if I were her, I would have been annoyed with Rutherford too. Like, no, take it seriously. This is serious. <laughs> serious business, damn it. <laughs> and then with Boimler, it's him trying to figure out if he's on the right path, ultimately, right? Like, so poor, poor William Boimler, <laughs> which I forgot about him. How did you forget about I William? Know, I'm always I waiting. I have terrible memory. Whenever there's a clone situation, I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's about to be this season's lore. Watch. (laughs) So at first I was like, oh, cool. So he's he's gone. Like, we don't have to worry about him again. But apparently we will because he faked his death to go into Section 31. But Boimler, like, searching for meaning. And I do love that, like, this is another another love song to the movies, right? And... (laughs) Captain Sulu, his hallucination of Captain Sulu is pretty freaking great. And then just overall, Boimler accepting that, like, he can't control everything and he shouldn't try. All of these are great messages wrapped up in awesome Star Trek. So I just, I really liked this one. Yeah, it was um something else entirely. I, I just... I felt like I didn't need this episode, right? I find that the crisis point episodes are taxing on me emotionally because they're doing all of that emotional heavy lifting. I do recognize it as necessary. So I, I'm not, you know, mad at it. I don't, I just, I, it's like, it's like, this is the, no, I don't want to say Brussels sprouts because I love Brussels sprouts. These, these, these are your steamed peas. In your meal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you gotta eat these. You may not like them, but, you know, this is this is what it's for. Um, well, I like peas, but... so I guess that's... 
That's that's where we're at. And that's there fine. you go. Always accept yourself as we learned from Lower Decks. Yep. Trusted sources is next. More betrayal. Yeah, the reporter episode. So, and betrayal in ways that you do not expect. No, I found this one kind of upsetting. I was really upset on behalf of Mariner. Basically, no one believed in her. And also, uh, uh, Jennifer, uh, uh, Dumper. Dumper. Mm, yeah. I We didn't talk um, about the, the Jennifer subplot in the DS9 episode, but I did like it because I liked that Mariner w- had been trying to suppress herself and Jennifer was like, no, that's who I, what I like about you. Be yourself. And then here we are in this episode and Jennifer's like, just completely abandons her. Yeah. So I... I liked their ship. I thought they had great moments. And now it's done <laughs> for me. Because that I would not be able to come back from. And we don't see if they do. But I can't imagine that did not result in a breakup. And also, like, um, defend me in front of your friends, please. Can you come gather your Beckys? Yeah. Yeah. I would not be angry if next season... Mariner was with Petra or Ransom. Let's say that. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer doesn't deserve her. And then the other thing is, is like the whole concept of this episode makes me laugh and is great because how many times have we referenced the ha ha ha, wasn't that a delightful misadventure? And then they leave. The fact that the show has come back to that and been like, actually, maybe it wasn't a great idea to just leave and actually come back and like, deal with some of the long-term consequences of Starfleet's actions. Yeah. But it it didn't really... Like, I would love it if Operation Swing By was a project that continued because I can think of so many places where that deserve a swing by. So many. The fact that the Ornara were okay (laughs) cracked me the F up. I was so happy for them. That mural... Oh my god, it was so freaking (laughs) funny. It was like, there's the Enterprise leaving. (laughs) There's us descending into madness. But then we found the gym. (laughs) So, so good. Also, I will always be excited to see the brain. Yeah. Always. I love that we know virtually nothing about them. And that everybody on... Any ship in Starfleet is automatically on site, red alert. Yeah. <laughs> it's automatically, oh shit, it's the Breen. It, there's like, there's yellow alert, there's blue alert, there's even black alert if you want a certain ship. There's red alert for when the shit hits the fan. And then there's the Breen alert. Like, there's the, <laughs> oh shit, it's the Breen. Like, the Borg don't even have an oh shit moment anymore because Janeway handled them so thoroughly. Yeah. <laughs> we don't brought back all the hacks for that you know what i mean like the people that used to give us problems we're like oh hey what's up you good today do do we need to talk do we have to sit down are you you good meanwhile the klingons don't even fuck with the brain okay that's just listen listen that's all you got to know is that the klingons don't even mess with them the klingons will fight everybody over anything except if they bring yeah yeah pretty much (laughs) So the fact that this other planet, Brekka, was just 
overridden and occupied with Breen soldiers and everybody was like, oh shit, and tried to get out of Dodge was just such a moment for me. I just appreciated it so, so much. And I need more of that. I need more of the Breen just popping up and scaring the ever-living daylights out of everybody around them. Definitely. I think that they're a good, scary enemy. And I don't want an explanation. I don't want to see what they look like. Yeah, like I don't want to know why they're like that. All I want to know is that we need to leave them alone. And then, so this is also, we get get to add Buenamiga to our Badmirals. Yeah. Which I saw coming as soon as this episode happened. The second he showed up and was like, actually, I have these ships. I was like, oh, this dude's a Badmiral. Even in this episode, before we even really get confirmation, like it seems pretty clear that he used Freeman's project to piggyback his project and that was his real goal. So he wasn't trying to help her. And that's probably honestly why he put this reporter there to embarrass her. Because if you put a reporter on your ship, they're never going to report good things. Like that's not what their job is. Like their job is to get the dirt and get clicks and whatever, probably even at this time. So, like, he was setting her up for failure, and I thought that was pretty obvious even from this episode. But then we get to the next episode. Yeah. I knew also that he was going to be a bad role. Just the red herring of the name. Buen amigo? Good friend? No. <laughs> no way. No way. But it also, I mean, like, this brings me back, and in, in stepping into our finale, it brings me back to our earlier point about how... <sighs> how equal equal representation can affect a community that is marginalized. So I loved seeing a Latinx admiral. I was like, let's go. About time. Am I okay with the fact that he's the villain? Hell no. Why is it the first Latinx admiral we see a bad admiral? Like, what <laughs> is that about? Wait, what is that? You couldn't put literally how many species are in Starfleet and you had to put a human Latinx male in this in this position really that's what you had to do an older one at that which means mm. when it comes to stuff like that it, it's it's tough right because at the on the one hand you want to have the full breadth of humanity shown yeah so the full breadth of humanity includes bad people right yeah but when you haven't had much representation before this it can get frustrating when you know, you start out or one of your very first portrayals is a villain. That that can be frustrating. Yes. I feel like this bad rule should have been, I don't know, an Andorian. Should have been uh, I, some, some Vulcan reductionary. I don't know. It could have been all these species that don't have the implications that a, a, a human person has could have been used in that role and still made the same point. They could have had fun with it. You know what I mean? They could have used that optic as a way to tell the same story. You know what I've always liked is evil Vulcans? Because I feel like people just assume that they're going to be friends. And I like it when they're not. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I hear you on that. And then just in general, I I think I started figuring out pretty soon that he was going to be the one that messed with Rutherford. But I hadn't figured out that it was going to be Rutherford's code that would be used for the Texas class. And yeah. that was so good. Because yes. the second he was like, it's the same code as Badgie. I was like, this is going to be 
hilarious. I am so on board for this. And I have to say the like, what does he say? I will burn your heart or whatever his catchphrase yeah. is. It's so funny. Literally every time I laugh because it's just so overdramatic. <laughs> oh, gosh. I really I really liked that twist and I thought it was really cool. And then on um, Mariner's side, she's enjoying her, you know, space Indiana Jones. Yes. But on the side of the good guys, because they're stealing from grave robbers and giving to museums, which is pretty cool. But she's suspicious because she's Mariner. And it turns out Picard, lover of archaeology, has been Mm -hmm, funding mm -hmm. this, which makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. But I really loved that she got to explore the side of her because I've experienced this myself where I had to make mistakes and go the wrong direction to figure out for sure that the path I was on before was the right one. You know, mm-hmm. like sometimes you just have to know. You just have to you just have to experience it and figure it out. So, I think from now on she's going to be a lot more grounded. Like she has figured out that Starfleet is her path, but she could only figure that out by exploring other paths. So, I thought that yeah. was really nice. It's kind of the other side to the Burnham coin. You know, when Burnham was stranded in the future without discovery and she kind of had to lean into elements of herself that don't necessarily fit in Starfleet's wheelhouse, but are super useful <laughs> in like reconnaissance, in civilian reconnaissance missions. I feel like there was a little bit of a little bit of a nod there uh, that I really, really appreciated. The other thing I really appreciate about this pair of episodes is it really leans hard into Captain Freeman's biggest flaw, which is her insecurity over being a California class. And part part of that insecurity leads her to good places, right? It leads her to ambition. But that ambition can blind her to some things. And so she makes a really big mistake in Trusted Sources in which she, you know, transfers Mariner to Starbase 80. And it I loved that the conclusion to this was, oh, wait, no. Like, California class is a good ship. Your crew is good. Like, you know, yeah. they are better than this, you know, uh, uh, supposedly perfect ship or whatever. And so addressing that head on and having her address that head on, that was really good character development for me. And I think she will be a lot less likely to get maneuvered in this way again. Yeah. It also speaks to my earlier point about how, you know, synthetic life is not the flex you think it is, right? The reason why the Cerritos lost the the race, so to speak, the mission race, is because Tendi was doing her job. They were sciencing. She stood up for science. So, you know, it proved that maybe synthetic intelligence is not sufficient to operate a starship. And I I just really love how that was another theme here. I feel like a lot of Star Trek can get caught up in respecting the sentience of synthetic and artificial intelligence. And I I feel like that is, 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 it's, it's willful ignorance of the rest of the problem, you know? And I I love that they are not 
shying away from it in the season, but also not being heavy handed with it either. So it makes the conversation a little bit easier, not easier, but maybe a, a little bit more accessible to have in a more regular occurrence. Um, but I also lost my mind when the Cerritos called in reinforcements of the other California class ships. I literally cried. When the Oakland showed up, I definitely got a little misty. I shot up. I like jumped out of bed and I start shouting. I'm like, come on, Oakland. Let's go. <laughs> Ramsey, you better show up for your boot day, girl. Let's go. I got so loud. I am a sucker for those types of moments. Yes. They, they are cheesy, but they are fun and they're and they really do evoke an emotional response in me and i just was like this is so nice i love these ships i do so overall i thought it was a really nice uh finale and didn't have quite as much as a cliffhanger but we did get two new things that'll be exciting for season four one is apparently Badgie is probably going to come back because his AI was collected. So we don't know quite what that's going to turn into, but I don't think we, we think we've heard the last from Badgie or Badgie 2.0 or Badgie 3.0. The other thing is Talyn. Yes. Woo! I knew this was coming at I knew this was coming as soon as her episode which was Wedge Douche happened cuz she's just Ooh, and so I'm very excited to see how she's going to fit in with the Cerritos. And so, yeah, this is all really exciting. I'm looking forward to season four, and I really liked season three. Yeah, I'm excited for Talyn to have teammates that are less dramatic. Yes. Because that crew that she was on that ship, they were so dramatic. Very and there's dramatic. nothing worse than emotionless drama. Like, can you can you just stop? Stop. Just stop it. Go meditate somewhere. Leave me the F alone. Yeah, overall, just an amazing season. I'm I'm super, super happy that, you know, it's progressed to this point, that they included all of the different plot points that they did and the ways that they did it. I really don't have any complaints about the season, except for, you know, Buen Amigo being a bad morale. I will say, though, that I loved his pronunciation of Cerritos, and I feel like going forward, I'm not going to call it Cerritos anymore. Like, <laughs> if that's how it, like, I, it never occurred to me to pronounce it properly in the three seasons that <laughs> we've been dealing with this ship. And I, I feel like it, the, the, the homage is due. But yeah, everything about this season was just, it was just so great. I, I was kind of hoping that. You know, as we mentioned earlier, that Lower Decks has a unique ability to be able to break that fourth wall and, and be very meta about where Trek is and really flesh out that world building. I was kind of hoping that they would also start fleshing out some of the current, you know, like storylines, right? Like I would have loved to see them maybe not spend a whole lot of time there, but a bre- uh, like, uh, address the XB project and all of those ex-Borg and what the Romulans were doing. Cause I think this is getting close to that chron- chronologically speaking. I want to see, you know, cause they made reference to the Kelvin verse films in a very tongue in cheek way saying like, Oh, wouldn't it be terrible if <laughs> there was an alternate timeline where someone played ourselves, but is younger, like, yeah, that'd be weak. But I, you know, like they mentioned it. And I just wonder if there's going to be other ways where they try and, and tie into what's going on or if it's going to be completely independent or it's going to remain, I should say, completely independent. Either way, as long as we get that follow-up episode where Agamus and Peanut Hamper get, you know, chopped up for parts, 
<laughs> I'm with it. Well, that's all the time we have today. Andy, where can people find you on the internet? Until it's gone, you can find me at Twitter at First Time Trek. Uh, yeah, and I guess until it's gone, you can find me on Twitter at that Mikey chick. You can also find me on Instagram at that. That's that M I K E Y C H I C K. But please do not act up in my comments because I will drag you publicly before blocking you, which can still happen on Instagram, BT dubs. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit women at warp.com. Email us at crew at women at warp.com or find us on Facebook. Twitter while it's there, while it lasts, while supplies, while tweets last, (laughs) or Instagram at Women at Warp. Thank you so much for listening. Hoorah, California class. (laughs) 